everybody, Joel Junker here with another episode of the Cameron Brooks Podcast, uh, Above and Beyond. And I apologize for a little bit of the background noise here. I am uh, recording it from an airport, at least the introduction conclusion. Um, this is probably one of my favorite podcasts that you're going to listen to. Uh, I interviewed my colleague, Rob Davis, um, who made the transition in 2000 and uh, went to work for Cisco Systems and came to work for us in 2010. Uh, the reason why I think it was my, it is my favorite of the 55 episodes that we've done is that I just really enjoyed interviewing Rob. I, haven't, I interviewed him when he came to work for us, uh, but to sit down with one of my colleagues and just ask him a bunch of questions about him, his goals, why the decisions he made, and yeah, it was really great just to connect with him that way. But I think from a listener standpoint, you're going to really enjoy uh, hearing about his decision to leave the military, questions he recommends that you ask yourself, in making that decision and what he recommends in preparation for success. Um, additionally, he covers uh, getting an MBA while working as well as how to factor location into a career search. Well, enjoy. All right, Rob. Well, welcome to the uh, the Karen Brooks podcast. Uh, uh, Pete got to interview me. Pete Bennett's interviewed me one time, so now we get to interview Rob. Uh, my colleague, and so I'm going to start off with just letting Rob introduce himself, what he does here at Cameron Brooks, and share a couple minutes of his background. Then we're going to dig into uh, Rob's uh, experience working at the transition and working in business, and here at Cameron Brooks. Yeah, thanks, Joel. So uh, at, at Cameron Brooks, I my official business card says, says principal, so I am I am part of the the leadership team here that that helps Joel and, and Chuck Alvarez, our CEO run, manage the company, but my day-to-day job is really recruiting, and that's working with the officers in our program, uh, helping them learn more about business, learn a lot more about themselves, helping them eventually uh, make a successful transition to the, to the business world. So I do a lot of traveling on planes to meet our candidates face-to-face and work with them and doing interview preparation workshops and just really try to help them make the best decision for, for both their their career and, and for their family. So that's really what I, I do on a day-to-day basis. Um, I'm a former JMO myself. I spent, uh, grew up an Army brat. I spent eight years on active duty as an Army armor officer. I uh, graduated from West Point in 1993. Uh, transitioned in early 2001. I, I came through the Cambridge process. Uh, I went to work for Cisco Systems in the Bay Area. I spent roughly about five years with Cisco doing a variety of uh, engineering uh, program, project management roles, uh, some technical team leadership roles. Uh, I finished up my uh, MBA through SMU's executive program in Dallas. Uh, then worked to, went to work for a building materials company called Old Castle. They're an international global Fortune 500 company headquartered in Dublin, Ireland, but the, the North American headquarters in Atlanta where I worked. Uh, there I did um, business development role, uh, doing mergers, acquisitions, capital projects. I did that following my MBA. Uh, then I went to work as a general manager. Uh, for one of our operations there in Atlanta. And then when my boss got promoted, I took over as a vice president of operations. So now I had six different manufacturing plants in and around the uh, metro Atlanta area, running those for the better part of, of a couple of years, and then uh, joined Cameron Brooks in the fall of 2010. And I've been here for going on eight years. And it's been great. Rob really came at a great time for Cameron Brooks where we were um, building our recruiting effort and uh you know, the, uh, Roger Cameron, Renee Brooks were um, at a time of transitioning uh, to retirement, and uh, we were building a new leadership team of the company. And so Rob came in at a great time. And uh, for those that haven't been able to, to work with Rob or know Rob, uh, uh, 
um, I've been working with him, you for eight years, and um, you're passionate uh, about really working with the junior officers and helping them be successful and coaching and teaching them. You know, it's interesting. I, one thing you and I have never talked about, but I'd love to hear your perspective on this. You grew up a military dependent. Your dad retired from the military. Your father-in-law retired from the military. You went to West Point. You're a really good military officer. Well, how hard was it for you to make the decision to get out, Rob? You know, it's interesting. It was actually a little less difficult than I thought it was going to be. When I entered West Point, when I got commissioned, I had the full intent of doing 20 years, Joel. I mean, that was really on my radar. And it wasn't because my dad was pressuring me. He actually tried to talk me out of going to the academy and, and entering the military. I think not because he didn't necessarily want me to, but he wanted to make sure it was my choice and nothing that that he had done to, to push me in that direction. Um, but I think when I, I came at a, at a, at a pivotal time, um, kind of a natural transition point in, in my time in the military, and that was basically coming out of company command where I had the, the fortune to do about 17, 18 months in command. And then it really caused me to look at the next 12 years and what the military was going to provide, what that was going to look like, and... Um, you know, the advice that was given to me, and I, and I still try to impart that on, on JMOs today, is really you can't look at the military assignment by assignment. And I think a lot of people do it that way. And before they blink, they're 14 years into this thing, and, and, and it's hard to walk away at that point in time. So I knew if I was going to make a transition, it needed to be post-command. And I had the opportunity to go back and, and, and actually teach at the academy, and that was going to be a great assignment but when I did the math and what I was going to have to do to pay that time back in education, it was going to be about 13 years. So I knew I was really making a stay for 20 or get out at that point in time. And uh, when my wife and I sat down and really looked at it from a long-term goal, like where we saw ourselves at five years and in 10 years and professionally what I was looking for at the five-year, 10-year point, those goals just no longer aligned. And once I realized that, it was a very easy decision. So what what advice do you typically give JMOs based on your experience or the experience you've seen when they're trying to evaluate that that decision very much like you did. There's a lot of people. I think, I don't know what the percentage is. I'm kind of the opposite of you. I did the military knowing that I would only want to do four or five years. And then I got to the end of the four or five years and I kind of struggled with my decision to get out. Um, but when you see people that are kind of in that that either your mode or the mode that I was in, what, how do you help them think through whether to stay in or to, to get out in terms of what questions do you ask? What do you recommend that they think about? Yeah, I think the, the beauty of Joel of, of the military, it doesn't matter if it's army or any other branch of services within your specific branch. So you and I are both armor officers, you know, our colleague Pete was artillery. It doesn't matter if you're a Navy surface warfare or, Air Force, aircraft maintenance, I mean, you have the crystal ball. You know, if you're a first lieutenant now, you know what the captain jobs are going to look like. If you're a captain, you know what the 04 jobs and so forth. You may not know the exact base or post you'll go to, but you know what the path looks like. So it's fairly well defined. And I think, again, it comes back to, for me, I knew that doing predominant staff jobs for the next seven, eight years with the 15 to 20% chance of doing a battalion command, even though I had done well and I felt like I had a good shot at that, just really wasn't what I wanted to do. I, I was getting further and further pulled away from leading troops. My wife and I uh, did not have a family at the time. I, I now have two kids today, but we also knew that we were looking to start a family and you know what we wanted for them um, just, again, no longer align with 
the, the pace and and what the military was going to to do for you know in terms of you know moving around and deployments and those things. And then professionally for me, I just I knew I wanted to continue to be close to troops. I wanted to have a chance to continue to lead. I, I had an engineering degree from the academy, and I wanted to utilize that more than I had uh, being around tanks. I got a chance to understand them better, but I wasn't utilizing my academics the way I wanted to. So when I really I think for most GMOs, I, again, it comes back to really sitting down and trying to outline professionally, what are you looking for in your career? What's, what are the top three things you're looking for? What do you see yourself in five years? And, in ten, and sometimes that's hard to do and you know, seeing yourself in 10 years and 15 years, but really what's, what's going to be important to you? And, and as a, if you're married or have kids and, or looking to maybe have a family, what's going to be important to you from a, from a personal standpoint? And then just looking at the path that the military is pretty much well laid out for you. And you know, do those align? Uh, and if they do, I think someone should probably stay and continue to serve. The military still continues to need great officers, but if those goals begin to diverge from the path that you know it lays out in front of you, uh, my recommendation is it's usually time to do something else. Yeah, one of the things that uh, I think you do too, and uh, uh, I recommend, or uh, I ask uh, people, who do they know that's that's working in business as like a development candidate? somebody that's growing and developing into leadership roles that's, you know, five, 10 years older than them, roughly. And then have them think about that person. What do they like about that person's life? What are they doing that they like? And then think about the people they know in the military and about maybe it's a battalion commander or a lieutenant commander or captain of a ship. And they look at that person and somebody that they really kind of look up to um, in both areas and just try to associate which one do they most associate with and where, which one do they most likely see their life like in five to 10 years? Um, I, think it's it's, one, I think it's a good point. Yeah. yeah, I think it's a good point. So I think what, just, oh, sorry, I didn't mean to stop there. I think, I think you also just learning, right? We, you know, like I said, everyone knows kind of what the path in the military looks like. For those that don't have family members or close colleagues that might be in the business world, just learning about what that looks like. That, that could be simply picking up and reading through a copy of Fortune magazine. It could be turning on CNBC and watching the news. Obviously, we recommend your PCS to Corporate America or your Jim Collins Good to Great of just pulling back the curtain a little bit and having, as you increase your knowledge about what the business world is, what it is not, what it may have to offer, then you have the ability to compare the path, the, the known of the military. But without being able to do that, it's very hard to make that decision. Let's jump into something else I think that is pretty unique about you. And I like to tell your story in my presentations because I don't have as good of a story. I transition straight to Cameron Brooks and it's not as interesting. Um, you, you, you're from Kansas, basically. Uh, got family in Alabama. Uh, you're, I don't know, you always loved Dallas. You're tech, in the Cowboys fan, like Texas. Um, your location preference was predominantly the Midwest. Um, you had a young family. When you were getting out, I think Northern California was probably your least geographic preference. Um, how did you end up in Northern California then with Cisco and why? And it- yeah, so as I mentioned, I you know, grew up a military brat. So I was born in Huntsville, Alabama. My, we lived in Germany, lived pretty much everywhere but the West Coast. Um, my wife, same thing. Her dad was a, a military officer, a military intelligence foreign area officer. They lived in Spain, stationed all over the place. So 
you know, we, we at least were familiar with other locations. I think my wife had always found something about every place we lived that we liked. You know, we certainly had our favorites and, and our, our least favorites. Um, my wife's a Kansas grad, so she was, uh, her, her dad had retired in Lawrence, Kansas. I went to, to Leavenworth for high school. So that's where both of our parents lived. I've been stationed at Fort Hood, Texas. So you're right, Midwest and Texas was our preference, just being relatively within the same geographic footprint of, of, uh, of parents and, and, and that. But we really, when we sat down, even before we decided to transition out, said, okay, we're going to finally have some ownership over where we live and where we go, and what do we want that to look like? And I think we both agreed that um, we wanted to see all of it. We felt like we'd be selling ourselves short if we didn't give ourselves the chance to see all the possibilities and all the fits. And so when I came to my Canberra's conference, um, I interviewed with, I think it was 14 companies at the conference, and, and, uh, and I saw plenty of things in Texas, uh, in the Midwest, and ended up burning offers through that process, too. And, and my outlier was Cisco Systems in the Bay Area. But when we sat down and really looked at it, um, for me, it was how do I feel about the company and the culture? Am I going to really – where can I best utilize the skills and the degree I had in the military? Um, and we just felt like at the end of the day, those are the things that just put Cisco on top. They just fit the bill for all those things. But it wasn't lost on me, Joel, that Cisco was an international company. They had major operations in in Raleigh-Durham and RTP in, in Northern California and Dallas. They had offices all over the place. So my thought was, hey, hey, maybe I start in California. I really like it, and I want to stay there. Or maybe I do well, and I have a chance to, to relocate at some point. And, and about my two-year mark, I, I got promoted, and it allowed me to relocate to to Cisco's Dallas office. So still with the same company I wanted to go to work for, but now I was able to maneuver my way within the company to a, a little bit more desired location. How how hard how hard was that for you, Rob, to work with your company to get back to your ideal location? And based in that's your experience, but also me, I know you've got a lot of people that you came through the process with, uh, you worked at Cisco with that have gone to other companies and things like that. How hard Based on your personal experience and also talking to other people, is it to, if you're a top performer, to move with your company to a, a better location where they have an operation? In my experience, Joel, and, and obviously talking to other colleagues and things, uh, it's surprisingly not that difficult. I mean, obviously, if you're working for a company that's only located in one location, that obviously presents more challenges. But with Cisco, I was working for um, a gentleman's name is Rick. Um, great guy, big believer in JMOs, and um, and through him and other folks, I got I just developed relationships, got a chance to network across the organization, and, and then he was starting a, a new group that he wanted to bring over some talent that he had you know helped mentor and develop as he stood up this new organization, and then that presented itself, and he actually gave me like three, four different options, so it wasn't just Dallas. He was really looking to grow the organization, so. Um, I think for me, to your point, proving that you can bring value to the organization, contribute. If you can do that, put some proverbial skins on the wall, I think companies are much more apt and they want to be able to work with you because they want to keep their best talent. And if that means that the way to do that and if there's possibilities to relocate and then I think it's incumbent upon you know the, the person to, to seek out mentors and people that uh, and network and people they can get to know and the, and the broader that network becomes, the easier it will become to relocate if that's a desired option. And um, uh, tell me about your uh, your MBA in terms of the company um, helping you pay for that. How did that process work? Because there's a lot of questions out there um, about how that works. 
um, in a, and is it difficult to get? Is it just something that's advertised, but it's not necessarily followed through on? What was your experience? Yeah, Cisco is a little bit different in the fact I think each department or organization kind of did it a little bit differently depending on your your kind of, for lack of, to use a military term, chain of command structure. So for me, it wasn't something that people were necessarily encouraging. They weren't discouraging by any means either. But when I took the promotion and went to Dallas, what was important for me before I started my MBA, Joel, was that I, I wanted to gain some relevant business experience. I, I knew that I wanted to pursue an MBA. That was a long-term goal for me. But I also, not having any business experience, I felt like I would be somewhat limited in sitting in a classroom with really no context. So for me, about two and a half, three years in, I now felt I had a good, strong foundation. Um, and then for Cisco, they had, as part of their overall benefits package, they had a tuition reimbursement program. So Cisco ended up paying for probably a third of, of my MBA. Uh, I, I do know people that um, they worked at Cisco in different groups that ended up having more than that. Some even had it 100% funded. It just really depended on, there was no set policy. There was one blanket where within Cisco's benefits package, that's what I took, but certain departments could actually authorize more than that. But what I ended up doing, because there was no post-9-11 GI Bill at the time like there is today, so I ended up using some federal Stafford loans to, to fill in the, the gaps, and I got a really great interest rate and, and was very affordable in, in doing that. But I combined those two between the loans and, and Cisco. And most JMOs today... Um, probably don't even need to do that with all the veterans. I think most schools even offer veteran discounts. Um, some JMOs have the post-9-11 GI Bill partial with the, what the company would offer, get majority of it funded. Um, Absolutely. From, when you, you know, we, you and I hear a lot about one of the main reasons people want to do a full-time MBA program. You did the um, part-time program, executive program. But one of the reasons we hear often, well, um, for, I think, I don't know if it's number one or two. I'd be interested to get your perspective. I either hear, well, I want to go build my network or I don't know what I want to do. So I'm going to go get my MBA to figure that out. Mm -hmm. I'll pick uh, whatever order you want to go in, pick one of those. And what was your, what was your experience from your executive MBA on networking? Or what would you say about, you know, using the MBA to figure out what you want to do? Yeah. So the executive MBA at SMU was, and I, off the top of my head, I'm trying to recall, but I think it was, you had to have somewhere between like seven to 10 plus years of professional working experience. It might be a little bit higher than that, but my military time accounted for that. So I fit the mold. So for me, the network was, was invaluable, but my network was directors and vice presidents and business owners and general managers, people that had a good amount of work experience. So when I went in that classroom, my professors were great, but I was learning as much from my classmates as anything. But, you know, the, the joke I like to make, and I don't think it's really much of a joke, is with a full-time MBA program, your network is a bunch of unemployed people. They literally don't have jobs. And a lot of them are going and pursuing their MBA right out of, out of undergraduate. So they're 24-year-olds, 22-year-olds. You've got folks that are really making a, a major you know, shift at some point in what they're doing. So I think there's definitely, there is a network, but I don't think, at least in my experience, again, I did not do a full-time program, but I think the part-time and the executive MBA programs, just the level of people and the business experience and, and that, that capability to really build, and these are people I still stay in, in regular contact with on, on even today. I, I think that network is just so much more robust um, than some of the full-time programs. Yeah, and, um, I've been taking 
as you know, taking some graduate courses through Northwestern uh, in their master's science and learning and organizational change. Um, and my mind is uh, probably two thirds, I would say people in their late twenties to early thirties in, in my first class and in the second class. And the other third is probably people is, not probably is people. I'm probably the youngest of the old, what I call the old group. I'm, I'm 45. So mid forties to early fifties. And, um, I, it just didn't through, I'm in my second class now through that. Um, you know, I'm not trying to network to leave Cameron Brooks, but in terms of network and learning from one another and building relationships and even potential future clients with Cameron Brooks, um, I've got a, I've worked with a lady who's a CEO of a multimedia, a global multimedia company out of Chicago, a gentleman who's a former Marine who's in his late forties that works for an investments uh, company that does all the investments for like CalPERS or the, you know, the California retirement fund and other big corporation retirement funds, a lady that is the um, uh, investor relations uh, point for a publicly traded uh, consumer goods company in Chicago. And another lady that's an investor relations uh, for a publicly traded food company out of Omaha. And like you said, it, it, the difference between what we, because we, that's how we learn in graduate school, at least in the executive programs is, it's not sitting in a lecture hall. It is read this, break into small groups, talk about it, write papers, do group projects together. That's what I'm learning. And that's where I do the most of my learning and the relationships I've been building. That I think that that is true and powerful networking. Vice sitting in a classroom with a bunch of people for two years. And I'm not talking down. There is a reason to go to full-time school. But I never experienced what you said, with that point you were making, until I started taking a couple graduate courses early, earlier this year. And such a great point. But Rob, what about, what do you think about um, the thought of using the MBA to figure out what you want to do? What's your opinion on that since you got an MBA, but you also did a career search? Well, I think, and like you said, Joel, there, there are cases if I'm talking to an officer at JMO that I will make the argument that they should go to grad school. I think if someone knows, for example, they're coming out of the military and they, they know they just know they want to get into something like investment banking. They want to get into uh, strategic consultants like the, the Baines and the BCGs, the McKenzie's, or they're they're really bent on going into a corporate finance role, and, and they they just have a maybe a liberal arts degree, something that's just not going to open the doors. Then the MBA may absolutely be the conduit to help them make that shift. Because if you look at most of the MBA programs, at least the full time ones, and certainly the top ten. 15 schools. I mean, and they publish the demographics. You and I have both seen them on the websites. The, you know, two-thirds of the graduates are going into iBanking or strategic consulting. So if someone really knows the path, and, and when I say no, that means they've got, as you said, they've got friends, colleagues that are doing that kind of work. Maybe their parents have done it. They, they just have a connection that says, I, I know this is what I want to do. And I think the MBA programs probably bring a lot of value to make that, that necessary shift. But for someone that doesn't quite have it figured out, um, they know they want to be able to leverage their leadership skills and their project management skills, and they want to do this broader search. You know, spending eighty to hundred grand plus a year over two years to, to you know two years, and that's just not two years of of the cost of school. That's two years of lost opportunity of wages. That's income they're losing, and that's just two years they're also not getting their foot in the door and gaining valuable business experience. That it's a very expensive proposition to quote unquote figure out what it is you want to do. 
Um, let's turn back to your careers. We have just a few minutes before we, we, we need to wrap up. And um, I probably know the answer to this. I probably even asked you when I was interviewing you. No, we've not revisited it. So you made a career change from Old Castle to us. I'm not, let's, we don't even talk about going to Cisco to Old Castle. Let's just go to Old Castle with Cameron Brooks. Why? You are a VP, general manager, VP, uh, running your own market. Why did you make the change to, to come to Cameron Brooks and be in the, the JMO recruiting industry? Yeah, I think this is a question I probably get asked probably the most frequently by, by candidates or just JMOs that I come across. Because again, it, it seems like you know for some people they'll even say, well, "Why'd you leave corporate America?" Well, one, Cameron Rooks is still business. We're still uh, a commercial business, you know, for-profit company. But for me, I think over time, Joel, I, I learned that um, Cisco is a very decentralized company. So what I mean by that is they're this big global multi-billion-dollar company, but each operating company feels like its own small company type of feel. And I found over time, I like that feel. I like the idea of working for this smaller organization. I found out over time I liked wearing multiple hats. And, and it, it, at uh, Cameron Brooks, I'm part recruiter, I'm part marketer, I'm part salesperson, I'm part writer, um, part logistician. So yeah, I, I, I get a chance to, to do that. And I, I uh, through my time in the military as a, as a company commander, um, as a general manager, in, in just leadership roles, I've, I've really enjoyed the, the coaching and mentoring aspect so professionally, Timbrooks was now kind of offering things that I, I wanted to be able to do long term. Um, and then my kids had gotten to an age where, you know, they'd moved around. My son was born in California. My daughter was born in, in Dallas. So we lived in Atlanta. We moved around a little bit. And, and, and that was great. And they, I think they really became better rounded people for that. But we were in a position now we wanted to give them some more, more longer term stability as I grew professionally. And, and so... You know, professionally, um, Karen Brooks just fit the bill. Personally, it also uh, hit all the right right marks. But I said this before: if if this had an opportunity not presented itself, I probably would still be with Old Castle, still, still hopefully thriving in what I was doing. So we're running out of time, and you're even though you are part of the management team at Karen Karen Brooks, you're still a guest on the Karen Brooks pod. Technically, a guest on the Karen Brooks podcast today. So you get the the two surefire Joel Junker guest questions. First, uh, the best advice you've ever received that you would be willing to share and pass on to the listeners. It would have been easier if you had given me this question before I hop on the call, so now I've got to think about it for a second. Um, you know, I, I think the, and this is something I'm going through with my son now, who's, and Joel, I know you've already gone through this with, uh, with your oldest and now your second oldest of, of looking at colleges and majors and things of I hear people say, I want to do what I'm, I'm passionate about. And, and I think some of the best advice I got was absolutely you do what you love, but something you can, you can make a living at something that, um, you know, at the end of the day, you, people don't get up and say, I'm going to life. You know, they're going to work, you know, do something you're going to enjoy, something you're going to find fulfillment in. But I think the, the best advice I've ever gotten is that is one aspect of your of your holistic approach as a human being. And there's a lot of things between family and hobbies and all that. I think it's got to taking this holistic approach is realizing that your professional career is one facet of it. And it's not the end all be all is some of the best advice I've gotten. Yeah. It doesn't have to, def it doesn't have to define you. And certainly we at Cameron Brooks want you to everybody to find work that they're really 
really good at, but I'd have to even say that I didn't know I was passionate about leading, coaching, advising, teaching, blogging, podcasting. I've kind of, it's kind of like falling in love. It took time. And I really do. Yep. I am passionate about, about this now. I liked it when I started. I wouldn't say I was passionate about it. It kind of like grew over time. And I just like that Jim Collins advice when he talks about it, it's almost like, I think it's in the good to great. It's the overlap of those three circles of what are you good at? What makes economic sense? And what are you interested in? And you overlap those three. Where is that overlap for those three things? And then invest in that. And that passion and love, if you will, will come, come, come with it over time. I thought you were going to go someplace else. I just want to bring this up. I thought you were going to go someplace else with the college piece. But I do want to offer this as my own advice is that I've been talking to my second daughter who's, uh, you know, we're going out next week to look at colleges. And, um, uh, you know, just don't, I don't think let, let, don't let an SAT or an ACT or some score, with, I don't care if it's your live fire exercise score or evaluation or if it's some sort of standardized test score ever define you. There's so, you are, everybody's a very complex, different human being, but don't let scores or the name of the school define you or even necessarily what you majored in define you, whether you've gone to an elite school or been to an academy, you and I went to some two pretty big name schools. We shouldn't let those define us because uh, they don't. Um, and no, so much more if you even go to a school that's the, the one you could afford, the best one you can get into. It's all what you do with your situation and the resources that you have in front of you. You and I see it all the time. We see people from no name, state, school, criminal justice major, but they read all the books uh, in their preparation. They get a certification. They're great communicators. They have a phenomenal attitude. We think about our guy, Patrick, that went to work for Coke Industries, a horticulture major. I don't even remember where he went to right. school. I believe he's still yeah, well, there and he's crushing it. <laughs> yeah, and you said it. You said the operative word. It's it's. If I don't have, if I recognize I don't necessarily have the objective asset, school, degree, GPA, whatever it might be, then I, I've got to make up for it with a great attitude. And I've got to be, have the mindset of being, I'm going to be the best prepared I possibly can be. And then I'm also going to look at how do I mitigate some of those factors. And that can come back to, as you said, being well-read. That could be, you know, approving the objective background, whether it be certifications. And then you know, we just touched on this with, with the California piece of one of, your, one of the JMO's best risk mitigation tools being a non-traditional hire and trying to make this transition to the business world is being as open as someone can geographically. That That's going to be you know, a way to overcome some of those objective limitations. Yeah, because you can't go back and get a new degree within six right. months before you get out. But you can control how much, because that degree is going to control a little bit what you look at, get a look at. But you can control how much geographically you're willing to look at. Likewise, I guess for those people that have all these different objective assets, that could see a lot of different things and they want to narrow some on geography, they certainly could do that too. Okay. We're running out of time. I got one more question. Your favorite book that you would recommend to somebody listening to this podcast that is not on the Cameron Brooks reading program. Ooh, not on the Cameron Brooks reading program. Um, I'll probably give, uh, I'll give two. One is one I read probably within the last year and, um, and I refer back to it often is uh, the book's called presence by Amy Cuddy. Uh, I'm a big become a big fan of, of this. Uh, if you ever watched a, a TED Talk, um, she has one, probably one of the top-rated, if not the top-rated TED Talk on the idea of power posing, but it really has a lot to do with 
this idea of presence of, you know, you can be objectively strong and all these things, but once you're in the room, you know, you're able to communicate and your body language and the presence and, you know, can you, we've all had those, those moments where we've had a discussion or heck, it could even be an argument or a debate or something like that. And, you know, it ends and then 30 seconds, two minutes, an hour later, you're going, man, I should have said that. Or, wow, why didn't I say this? Or, hey, why didn't I do this? And the whole book talks around the psychology of being able to be your most authentic self at a particular point in time. You know, com- communicating with the people you want to influence and have relationships with and, and be able to, to do all that. And I think it has a lot of great um, message in terms of just interaction with our, our peers and, and uh and family members and something with my son and in athletics of being able to play and be present on the court. But I think with a JMO interviewing, just be able to bring your best, most, most authentic, true self in the room to be able to communicate your background. And that's as much as objectively what companies are looking for. They want to see authenticity. And can you be your most real self when it counts the most? Second book you said, you said you had two. <laughs> oh, yeah. The other, one, uh, the other one I really love was... Uh, um, was was Shoe Dog, and it was written by. I knew uh, you were going to say Knight. that one. Yeah, and and I love the book because we all know the iconic brand of Nike, um, but I think it's just a great example of, from a business perspective, all the the potential nuances and the twists and the turns, and, and there's so many of them in this book that if this this was a company that started basically being a shoe distributor for a Japanese shoe company at seven thousand hours a year in revenue up to what it is today. And there's so many zigs and zags that if Phil had gone left versus right, this company would never have come to fruition. I think it, it just, it talks a lot about what a lot of, I think, kids are looking for when they think about the business world. They're talking about innovation and creativity. If you've got a great idea and you have a great plan and you have come back to that word, you know, passion around what you're doing and you believe in it and you've got a sound, you know, business mind to be able to make it happen. You know, anything is, is possible. I think it just for a lot of us know the company, but don't know the story behind it. And there are, there are a lot of companies that have gone through something like this. Uh, I think it's just a really fascinating read. It's great, Rob. Thanks for uh, thanks for filling in here and uh, being the guest on the podcast. A lot of great stuff on thinking through the decision to get out, how to think about location, pursuing an MBA, being well pre well read and prepared and couple of great book recommendations or at least ted talks amy cuddy's presence ted talk if you don't you want to check check that out before reading the book but uh thanks a lot for being on today my pleasure joel anytime all right thank you for listening to another episode of the cameron brooks podcast of course if you want to learn more uh visit uh, our website at cameron-brooks.com uh order a copy of pcs to corporate america fourth edition you can email um, me at joel at cameron-brooks.com and you can catch Rob Davis at rdavis at cameron-brooks.com Thanks for listening.